I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. It's going to start getting warmer. At least so they've promised, Ton. Uh, so we need to talk about, you know, the best ways to water your vegetables. So first of all, start out and talk about, are drippers just the best way to go with vegetables? Well, it depends on the type of drip irrigation. You know, a lot of times people, well, I will say this, people have lots of different opinions on drip. And some people like certain styles mm-hmm. as compared to others. And so when I talk about drip, I just take it from a perspective of how I've experienced drip and just dealing with it over the last couple of years. Um, last year, J.D. Sheridan and I put together, primarily Sheridan, a fact sheet on water needs of various vegetables. Mm-hmm. Because you know our general recommendation for any vegetable is one to two inches a week. And... That will get the water penetrating into the soil anywhere from six inches to a foot. And you would do that, well, one to two inches of water per irrigation per week. So at any rate, Sheridan, in conversation last year, and if she's listening, I am not meaning to take your name in vain, Sheridan. But uh, what um, she was noticing is that some of the vegetables had different water requirements than others. And, you know, you know, you look at this list and most of them say one to two inches per week. But, you know, the herbs, calendula, uh, one, one and a half inches. And so it just, she just tried to group these together so that you would know how to do it. But the other feature of this fact sheet gives some tables for different kinds of drip irrigation. Now we have focused on what's called grid um, drip irrigation that has fixed emitters every six inches to foot, you know, maybe three inches depending on the particular brand. But these tables go in and say you have a flow rate on the emitter of 0.9 gallons per hour with six inch spacing. And so it tells you if you're using that at 20 to 30 pounds of pressure, 0.9 gallons per hour at six inch spacing, you're using 180 gallons of water on half inch pipe. Assuming you're running it for an hour, you would use 180 gallons. 
and it gives you the gallons per minute and inches per hour, which you would run that for a little less than an hour to get one inch. And so these tables are in here because one of the biggest challenges with drip is that, you know, USU gives those recommendations in inches of water per week. But how does that translate to a drip tube that has a hole in it every six inches? How do you know when you've applied an inch? Right. And you're making us do math on a Saturday Yes. And so it almost made my brain explode. Yeah, me too. But J.D. and I, this was kind of our end of the fact sheet. We sat down several times over Zoom, Zoom and in person and figured out these tables to know how to install the drip and how long to run it to get to those USU recommendations. So one other thing in here, if you are really mathy, um, <laughs> the formulas we used are in here. So if you're using drip that doesn't conform to the table somehow, you can just plug the numbers into the formula to get the inches per hour so that you know how long to approximately run that those drip the drip irrigation on your vegetables. I just want you to tell me. I don't want to figure it out. That's what the tables are for. <laughs> you can say, okay, I've got half inch tube <sighs> with drippers every six inches. They emit right. a gallon an hour. So I'm putting down in an hour, an inch and a half. So about a 40 to 45 minute run gets me my hour for the next three to four days. Okay. I'm kind of teasing you, but I'm looking at this and you just have every sort of vegetable herb. That's uh, Perennial crops. Look at that. Sheridan Go. I mean, this is quite extensive. It's, it's an extensive list. It is. And so this came out last year after the gardening season had already pretty much commenced, mm-hmm. commenced. And so I wanted to get this out there because I know this year, you know, it, the drought thing has kind of been there, done that. It's kind of like bell bottoms. Even know, though we, going we out, still but, need to conserve water. I think that's do. the one thing that's not good about what's happened. We still need to conserve yeah. water. We waste water. We waste a lot of water. But the other excellent thing about drip once you get it figured out, it will save probably 70% of your weeding because you're not watering the whole garden. You're just watering those crops. And so it's actually a time saver once you get it figured out. Okay. And you can find this extensive list uh, in an article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. It's really awesome. And I, I'm looking at all these flow emitter rates, emitter spacing. Uh, you've really gone to a lot of work here. It was a lot of work. And I mean, this is something that... I had never really delved into, and it took me a good month to wrap my head around it enough to where I was confident enough to put the tables together. Together, Mike, Karen, and I did a lot of testing on it to make sure that they were accurate. And it this actually was a lot of work to get together. Sheridan's listed all sorts of leafy greens. She doesn't just put leafy greens. Uh, she's got celery and garden cress and kale and lettuce and mustard. New Zealand spinach. I mean, it's 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 really good. It is. All right. And you can find that on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We are coming back with your calls. Paul is already on the line. The lo- the number to call 801-575-8255. Text us 57500. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. 
The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. And let's go back to our phone lines. And Paul is on the line from Roy. Good morning, Paul. What was your question? Hey, good morning. I have two large uh, rows of Sharon shrubs, and they bloom every summer, I think late in the summer, beautiful flowers. They have not started to bloom yet, but they're over, they're well over six feet tall, and my wife wants me to trim them back. Would it be a mistake to trim them before they bloom? You will lose your flowers for a lot of the summer if you do it now. Mine are setting flower buds already, and so I think if you took a close look, you know, I'm in a colder area of the Wasatch Front, and if mine are setting buds, I suspect others are too. So, I mean, you could, but you would just lose a lot of your flowers. And I can see the buds. You know, they're not open. Yeah, Yeah, it would take them six or eight weeks at least before they generated any more flower buds if you prune. Okay. Thank you, and they're just beautiful thanks so much all right paul uh, I, enjoy uh, the well, flowers i, do have, one quick, I do have one other quick question the rose of sharon these are purple flowers i just bought two uh potted plants that are hibiscus and they're orange flowers they look the same they look similar but are these completely different animals they are very closely related there's actually hybrids between the two but the Potted hibiscus you purchased are tropical hibiscus. Yeah. And they will survive San Diego and Central and South Florida, the only areas in the United States that they're cold hardy. So enjoy them while you can. I've known people to try to bring them inside. They're not easy. Uh, We had the gardenia color earlier, and this is another one that they're just not really meant to be grown here. And so okay. I would just enjoy them. But yes, if you looked up the Latin name, both of them are hibiscus and are, you know, the, but they're just different species. But yes, it's a comparison okay. of tropical and cold hardy. So if I plant the tropicals, they, they're not going to come back. First hard frost, they're dead. Okay. Okay. Thank you both. Thank All you. Right. Great Sorry show. about that. Thank- Thanks for being with us this morning. Um, I had a thought. It went. Okay, so we'll go back to our uh, texters then. Uh, Next person would like to know, is there a tree that can be planted in an area that gets too much water? I guess they have a high water table. Um, They're wondering about what what about the idea of filling the hole with gravel. Would that help? No, it just makes a swimming pool. Okay, so are there any trees that like They may be able to mound up soil a foot or so above the grade. And then in kind of in a volcano mound where soil's tapering away from the top of the mound about three to four feet in any direction. They might be able to try something like western water birch or an alder. Those are fairly water tolerant, but they still need their roots out of the water a little bit. And so that's something they could try, but there are two or three species of alder available that will probably be easier to find or if they can find them western water birch. All right. I remember my thought that went. 
it was on grasshoppers. So we were talking about grasshoppers earlier, and we have another uh, listener from Bountiful who said they've never seen so many before. And I saw I've seen stories now, bread stories about Mormon crickets. And so what's going on there? It's just our season? Well, I, I think other religions deserve their crickets, too. <laughs> it's not really the name for them, either. I know. I'm just kidding. But it would be, I mean, we have these Buddhist crickets over here and the Catholic crickets <laughs> over there. so much yes. better, right? Okay. And spread the opportunity around. No, the weather conditions with the moisture and things have made the grasshopper survival much higher this year than normal. And that's why we have so many of them. And so I think that we it may be shaping up to every year there's a certain insect that we have a lot more of than usual. And so we may have the grasshopper apocalypse this year. Um, you know, gardening would be so much more fun yes. if there weren't pests. Yeah, it would be. It'd make life a lot easier. And I, Then you and I wouldn't have a job. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> I did see a gardener posted, I found the best way to keep pests out of my garden. And it's pesticide free. And they had built, in essence, low tunnels that were about three feet tall, anywhere from 18 inches to three feet. Mm -hmm. And they had floating row cover, that remay fabric, over everyone, and they were sealed up. And that's how they kept the garden pest free. So. Okay. Well, that's a pretty big compromise. All right. Next listener says they bought a moisture meter and they're kind of wondering how they should read it. If the plants are barely dry, do they water? They the, the moisture meters, I guess, can help, but well, you don't have to stick your finger in there. Yeah, I mean, but it's if it one says of those barely things, dry. Is it time to water? I understand. If it's barely issue. dry, I might wait, but I I, I can't say because so I don't wait till have it's dry. <laughs> the particular meter, and I oh, I there's the problem. Can't really tell them anything because I've never used them. My. When I when I judge soil, what I'll do is dig about six inches deep, depending on what species, and just get a sample of the soil, you know, the equivalent of about a half cup of soil in my hand, squeeze it. And if it feels moist, and unless it's a sand, if it holds its shape and doesn't crumble apart, there's probably enough moisture in there, especially if you can squeeze water out of it. But when you dig it up, even if you can feel some moisture, but it crumbles a little bit when you squeeze it, that's about the point that it needs to be um, rewatered. And so those moisture meters are something I think that can be a usable tool, but you unfortunately maybe need to be familiar with when you need to water already to be able to gauge that they're to when to use them and what point you do actually need to water. Yeah, I think most people use these for indoor plants. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to take a handful of my soil. My no, indoor. and if it says on, in your house plants, instead of using the moisture meters, I like, unless it's a huge plant, I just pick up the pot and I'll water it, let the water drain out, and they're pretty heavy. And I'll just put it back and then three or four days later, I'll lift it up. And if it still feels heavy, it doesn't need to be watered. But when it starts to feel a lot lighter, then that's when I will go ahead and re-irrigate those houseplants. And so when I have houseplants that I can't stick a finger into, I just lift them up and gauge the weight. And you know what they feel like when they're wet and you know what they feel like when they're getting dry. And that's when I know to water them. All right, next person says their 12 Better Boy tomatoes are beautiful. They're strong, over two feet tall, lots of blossoms, 
but no fruit setting. Uh Uh-oh, we're getting into that. (laughs) We're never getting tomatoes, and it's not even July. We're getting tomatoes. We're going to have tomatoes, and just be patient. They'll set the fruit, and just if you're getting blossoms, that's a great sign. All right, we need to take a break. The number to call, 801-575-8255. When we come back, Dawn is up next on the line. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Let's dig around town with KSL Greenhouse. Learn how to flip your strip with Weber Basin Water on Thursday, June 29th at 6.30 p.m. Register at WeberBasin.gov. Join the Conservation Garden Park for a waterwise tree and shrub tour on Saturday, July 8th from 9 to 11. Registration is required. Learn more at conservationgardenpark.org. Rose lovers, this one is for you. Learn how to safely and effectively manage the most common pests and diseases on your bushes with Red Butte Gardens. Register at redbuttegarden.org. Now a look at this week's quick tip. Oriental poppies are late spring blooming stars of any garden. Flower colors are vibrant hues of red, orange, pink, and even purple. These resilient perennials thrive in sunny locations under super low maintenance, making them a great choice for busy gardeners. They require minimal watering once established and can adapt to a variety of soil types. What's more, they attract pollinators like bees and butterflies, contributing to a healthy ecosystem. Oriental poppies are perennial, meaning they come back year after year, making them a great low-maintenance choice for perennial gardens in almost all of Utah. You can also find the Dig Around Town calendar and more fun gardening info at kslnewsradio.com slash greenhouse. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.